Coming up on Put It On The Board, it's episode 18 with a Major League Baseball draft recap. Uh, we had our draft preview with James Fox last week. Now uh, the draft is one week behind us, one week in the books, and Noah and I give our opinions on the White Sox selection of Jacob Gonzalez out of Ole Miss, some of the other draft picks the White Sox made as well. We had the All-Star break. Uh, Luis Robert participated in the Home Run Derby. And then we're really going to spend a good portion of today's show previewing the MLB trade deadline, which is now about two weeks away. Uh, The White Sox have yet to make trades, but as we kind of realize uh, that this team is going to be sellers, we look at what players will stay and what players will go. These trades could happen at any moment now, so it's important to have the conversations early and make sure we... uh, you know, get our predictions in. So a loaded show, even in the middle of July with a bad White Sox team, lots of things to talk about. Strap it in. Let's put some crooked numbers up on that board. Here we go. This is episode 18 of the Put It On The Board podcast. Today is Monday, July 17th, 2023. Uh, Noah, we last spoke before the Major League Baseball draft. We had James Fox on to do a preview um, and kind of talked about all of the different prospects that could potentially fall to the White Sox uh, at number 15. We gave our opinions on kind of what direction we were hoping for them to go. And we got a lot to talk about this week. So I guess we can just jump right in. The White Sox selected Jacob Gonzalez, shortstop out of Ole Miss, uh, a player that was heavily mocked to them by Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, a lot of the draft experts. But, you know, James seemed to think when he was on the pod that the White Sox were going high school, that they were going to take a prep hitter. It is college bat for the Sox. Uh, do you have any thoughts? What was your reaction to the pick on Sunday, now o- over a full week ago, of Jacob Gonzalez at 15 overall? Well, Sunday ended up turning out uh, quite a bit different, I think, than both you or I expected. Um, I think we kind of went into Sunday with like a group of three or four players, and we were thinking, you know, I hope one of these guys falls to the White Sox. And it turned out that pretty much all of them did. Um, some of the high school bats that we talked about, like, uh, you know, Hauk, Namala, uh, even Braden Taylor from TCU, those were guys that we had mentioned. And we were like, I don't know if they'll fall, but it like all of them did. And then I think the White Sox went with the guy who was probably the best available player. If you look at like the rankings, um, he wasn't my favorite pick. He wasn't, he wasn't the guy that I was sitting here saying, I hope the White Sox take him. Even when we got to 15 and he was on the board, I was kind of thinking it would be fine. There's guys I like better. Um, But, you know, it could have been worse. Uh, Everything I've read about Gonzalez since the draft has made me like him more. Um, It seems like he's a, he's a pretty advanced hitter and he's going to make an impact on the South side sooner rather than later since he's, out of college, you know, he's probably more advanced than some of those high school high school bats. So maybe a limited limited ceiling, but a high floor, a guy that I think will be on the south side soon. Um, and honestly, it's growing on me. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it, it was a pick, I would agree, was not ideal. And if the Sox had just taken Gonzalez at 15, uh, you know, that would have been one thing. But, you know, I certainly felt like there were some guys on the board that I was very fond of, Arjun Namala being one of them, because I really liked the upside. That was something we talked about with James of taking that big of a swing uh, on a high school player. And then Brayden Taylor was just my guy, like from the get-go as a third baseman, kind of a, a corner infielder that, as James put it, has a better chance to move to the outfield than he does to first base. Like, I didn't have the same worries about him being a first baseman and like this slow guy with no defensive value at the next level. Jacob Gonzalez is interesting because, you know, he does a lot of things well. People think he can hit. He's got a 55 hit tool, 55 power tool, according to MLB.com, 55 arm, 50 fielding. He's a 55 overall, but he's a shortstop that has a 40 run tool is, is slow for a guy in the middle infield. It's just kind of a weird prototype. He's a lefty bat, which is good. Some power profile which is good command of the strike zone which is good but there's some concerns here that you know make me a little hesitant uh, I mean I, I don't know there were better options on the board but I I definitely don't think this was the worst possible outcome for the Sox no definitely not um, and I know people have talked about that already uh, just kind of questioning you know how does that work with him being a shortstop where he's not very fast. Like how, guy, how can he stay there? And he's not a shortstop that they say is going to move. Like they love his glove. It's just odd. He's like, he's slow out of the batter's box. Like it's kind yeah. of a weird, you know. Well, I listened to, uh, I listened to an interview with Sam Dykstra, who is a writer for uh, MILB.com, MLB Pipeline. Uh, and the one comparison he made, now those of you listening – I'm only talking about one aspect of this person's game. Do not hear me saying that Jacob Gonzalez is going to be this person. But the guy that he compared him to was Carlos Correa, at least defensively. Um, Carlos Correa is big. He's like six foot two. So is Gonzalez. They're both bigger, uh, especially for a shortstop. Carlos Correa is not slow, but he's not he's not a burner by any means. He's not super fast, but he's rangy enough, and he plays enough defense that he can stick at shortstop and at least be an average defensive shortstop. So just because Jacob Gonzalez is not fast, that doesn't mean that he's not rangy enough with a good enough glove to actually stick there. Um, but the other thing that works in the White Sox favor is to this point, Colson Montgomery has done a fine job of sticking at shortstop. So if Jacob Gonzalez can't, at least they have Colson Montgomery, their number one prospect, who probably can. So you can easily slide Gonzalez over to second base or over to third base if you need to. Yeah, and I, I think that's like what I'm trying to be optimistic about because the high school idea certainly excited me. Like I, I, I had kind of gotten talked into taking a big swing like that. But no, I'll remind you that I've been of the philosophy that the White Sox should have gone college for quite a while now and you know that was certainly a theme of their draft was a lot of college talent um because we have kind of discussed where this franchise is and where they're at as an organization right now of obviously not being as competitive as they want to be but also not really having talent in the pipeline that's ready to go and help on the way so 
if Colson Montgomery is projected as a 2024 potential call up and, you know, he's a shortstop is Jacob Gonzalez up at the end of 24 and 25 at some point as your third baseman or second baseman, like how quickly could he be up? And you know, that brings you to a white Sox draft pick who was on a short list of guys that Jim Callis believes could be up in the majors very, very quickly. Yeah, and that is uh, third-round pick Seth Keener, right-handed pitcher out of Wake Forest. Um, He may profile as a reliever just with the stuff that he has, but yeah, Jim Callis, a few days after the draft, posted a list of eight players that he thinks could be the fastest movers to the major leagues out of the entire draft class, and Seth Keener was on this draft board. So I do think with a lot of the White Sox early picks in particular, um, they did kind of follow that strategy. They took a lot of college arms uh, in the first few rounds. I think it was kind of following that kind of the same thing they did last year, you know, where they took Peyton Pellet in round two, they took Jonathan Cannon in round three. And the White Sox realized that their farm system lacks arms that are advanced, that, that are close to major league ready. And so they needed to restock the talent in their farm system, especially with these college pitchers. Um, And so that was a consistent strategy, I think, from last year to this year. Uh, A lot of the guys that they did take kind of go along with what I've heard about Keener, which is that they may end up in the bullpen, but all of these guys are going to start as starters. They're going to be guys that the White Sox try to develop as starters. Not all of them may end up as starters, but the White Sox are at least going to try. Yeah, and I think that brings me to the pick that I'm most intrigued about. And I think every White Sox fan that was, you know, tracking the draft was most intrigued about because as they went, they went Jacob Gonzalez, they kept going college arm and you were kind of just sitting there wondering like, why do they keep reaching down the board? Like I I pointed out to you during the draft that all six of the first White Sox draft picks, their prospect rating by MLB.com was lower than the pick the White Sox actually were picking them. And a lot of them by, you know, 40 or 50 slots, like they were reaching down. Ideally, like you would think under slotting a lot of those guys. And it's just odd for that to happen without there being one of those top high school prospects that you try and sign in round three or round four. And and it, it didn't come for the White Sox. And then in round seven, at pick 209 overall, the White Sox took George Wolkow, I think is how we're, is that Wolko? I don't know how we're pronouncing that. I haven't heard it yet. W-O-L-K-O-W might need to, you know, mark it down for five years from now. <laughs> White Sox fans out there out of Downers Grove North High School in Illinois, uh, a 17-year-old outfielder. That is six foot seven and 240 pounds with a 60 power tool rated as the 71st overall prospect in the draft by MLB.com drafted at 209th overall, uh, a lefty bat, like just the raw tools. That is the huge swing that you talk about, uh, wanting the white Sox to take this kid is really, really exciting for me. And you know, it seems like they're going to get this deal done. Like they've, he hasn't signed yet, but there's, he's got white socks in his Instagram bio. There was an article out today about how he's trying to bring a world series home to Chicago on WGN with him in a white socks uniform and a hat with his dad. So 
you think he's going to get this done. And uh, George Walkhouse says he welcomes comparisons to Aaron Judge, that he uh, wants to be a Hall of Famer and wants to be great. So there's a lot of like those buzzwords here. Noah, your reaction to that pick? Because for me, this made all the other six rounds feel a lot better, knowing that you've got this guy who's your your lottery ticket of the group. I 100% agree. I think I think Wolko is the most interesting pick in the draft uh, by far. Something really cool about him. Uh, so he was ranked 71st, you said. He is 17 years old. He actually graduated high school early this year. Next year, uh, there were people rumbling about his potential to be a first-round pick in next year's draft. Had he waited a year and come out of high school in uh, 2024 class, However, he decided to come out early and he went in the seventh round and he was asked about it after the draft. And he basically said, it doesn't really matter where I'm drafted. The way I see it is I get to make it to the major leagues a year earlier than everyone next year. So um, I love the attitude from the kid. He, like you said, he welcomes comparisons to Aaron Judge. He, He was quoted as saying, I want kids to be compared to me one day. (laughs) like uh, i don't care like yeah he's got a lot of games to play to like really create any sort of buzz i love the attitude like i i we need some of that attitude here man and like white Sox fans have been looking for a guy like this to get excited about and it sounds like george walco has been looking for people to get excited about him so like in terms of like pressure on a prospect he is numb to this stuff. Like he is embracing it and saying all the right things to get White Sox fans fired up. Maybe this is just a complete flop. And maybe, you know, he's a little bit too young to go into pro ball. And some of these concerns are, you know, really Achilles heels for him. But for right now, one can dream. And no, my favorite thing about him, I I talked to you about how I loved Arjun Namala because he was 17 and going to be 17 until October. George Wolko doesn't turn 18 until January. So he is going to be uh, a 17 year old for any pro ball that he plays this year. Uh, This quick little excerpt from MLB.com about him. Wolko already has the strength and leverage for massive power, and he's still growing and adding muscle. His size also comes with naturally long left-handed stroke and some swing and miss concerns. His swing decisions are still rudimentary. He'll miss fastballs in the strike zone and doesn't deal well with off-speed pitches. But he's built like a tight end and athletic for his size. He takes a while to get out of the batter's box, but is at least an average runner once he gets underway. Played all four outfield positions and the infield corners. Has a 55 arm tool and handled third base well at the area codes. Projects best as a right fielder with good arm strength. Lofty ceiling won't turn six, 18 until six months, six months after the draft. I mean, this is the Hail Mary. And I, for one, a Chicago kid, like a, a, a local of the area, like Chicagoland area that has this sort of attitude. Like this is somebody I think White Sox fans as a whole are really, really going to be rooting for. Yeah, I this kid is definitely very raw, and there's a long way to go. Um, I honestly don't even think he'll see Canapolis until 2025. No, he'll probably I be think, a complex league guy this Yes, year. I think he will spend the rest of this season in Arizona and all of next season probably in Arizona as well. 
I don't think he'll even see full season ball until 2025. He's got a long way to go, obviously, uh, and there's a lot for them to work on with him. But it's nice to see the White Sox taking a swing like this. And this is kind of what we were talking about, what we wanted them to wanted to see them do. And it's something that they've done under Mike Shirley more the past couple of years than they have under scouting directors in the past, which is before, you know, they were taking the safe players at every pick. But the last couple of years, you saw it with Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz taking them in the first round. And now here in the seventh round with Wolko, hey, they're and- taking a swing. And whether it'll work or not remains to be seen, but you like to go down swinging at least. If they would have taken him in the second round, I would have been pumped up about it. So, like, I, the fact that it's the seventh round means absolutely nothing to me. It, like, he would have been a fine second round pick. And because he's a Chicagoland guy, I'm sure the White Sox have seen a lot of him and have watched a lot of his baseball games. So if he was their guy, if he was their high school prospect that they wanted to take a swing on, I have absolutely no criticisms for the conservative approach in rounds two through six to make sure that, you know, George Wolko is a White Sox prospect uh, when everything's all said and done. Uh, That's really all I've got for the draft, Noah. We also had, you know, the MLB All-Star break, which for White Sox fans was pretty uneventful. Luis Robert Jr. was in the home run derby, uh, which was fun for a round. (laughs) Um, He did kind of get unlucky. You know, he loses to a Rosa Reina, who has like the best round of anybody in the second round. Luis Robert on one leg outperformed uh, both of the other semifinalists, I believe. But overall, you know, I was proud of Lou Bob. I feel like he did a good job representing the Sox getting to a second round, but he did hurt his calf, which was like so White Sox. Uh, luckily, he's returned since then and looked like his old self. So no. Yeah, I mean, he went he there. went four for four or four for five with a homer on Sunday. I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's fine. So no real worries there. But I mean, did, did you watch the home run derby? I, like I made it a point to try and watch it because you, you just haven't seen too many White Sox players do the event. And uh, it was one that I was like, yeah, you never know when this is going to happen again. Might as well root on our guy. I did watch the first round. We were supposed to be meeting somebody to to pick something up that we bought on Facebook Marketplace, and I made us late because I had to ah. stay and watch <laughs> Luis Robert in the first round. Um, it not... pumped me up, man. I, that was really fun because, like, there was so much hype around Adley, uh, his first round and the switch hitting and 27 home runs, and I was like, I was a grouch. I was like, yeah, of course. Like the guy Robert plays has the best first round and we don't even get a shot. It's over before it starts. And, uh, you know, watching him rattle off those home runs and an effortless swing, just hitting the ball 470 over and over again was awesome. Like that. I was like, I don't know. It was a tiny little victory for White Sox fans in an absolute torturous season. Yeah. We'll take what we can get at this point. We're saying this about us off third place finish in in the home run derby like he didn't win by any means so I'm all about these tiny little victories at this point seeing him knock off Adley Rushman after Adley got all this national attention in the first round was really cool and as much as ESPN didn't want to acknowledge that Luis Robert exists he uh he impressed me at the derby so good for him so tiny little victories 
that is, uh, you know, what we're looking for here. The Sox did take two out of three from the Braves and played some good baseball games. And Jake Berger looks to have uh, maybe woken up a little bit coming out of the all-star break. We'll see how long he can carry that on for. Uh, but really, Noah, it's all about the trade deadline at this point. It's about what little victories we can take away from the deadline and what players the White Sox are going to get in return, because I don't think there's much of a question. They're going to be sellers, at least to some extent. How much? That's what we're going to talk about. So I want to go through some players with you, and uh, I'll rattle off names, and I want you and I to think and kind of break down real quick. We're two weeks out from the deadline, just about even two weeks, who's going to stay and who's going to go. And I, another reason I wanted to do this now is because I think these deals could happen tomorrow. Like, I I don't think there's a, a need for the White Sox to wait until the trade deadline to see some of these trades get done. I think you could see, you know, some of these, these bullets starting to go anytime. I mean, you saw you saw the report from David Kaplan this weekend, um, which was that the White Sox are – he basically said he's expecting trades and he's expecting them soon. Uh, he said he's been hearing that, that there are several teams trying to jump the market and get Lucas Giolito now. So instead of getting eight starts of Lucas Giolito, they're getting, you know, 10 or 11 starts of him. So – I mean, that's definitely something that could happen. Personally, uh, if I were Rick Hahn or the White Sox, I would be waiting because I think Lucas Giolito is one of the top pitchers on the market, and I would not trade him early. I would try and get a bidding war going for him. But, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go but, early. We I mean, get, you know, the spin, get other guys early too. the spin zone of that is if you're doing it early, it could be because somebody overpays. Like, it could be that you get a really, really good deal – and somebody wants those extra two starts from Lucas Giolito. Like, what does two starts mean? It could mean a decent bit here when you're talking about, you know, prospect capital and what you're getting. Uh, I wrote down names, Noah, and I might have even forgotten a name or two here. I have 14 names down, uh, which might say a lot <laughs> about, you know, how wide open this thing is. I, I mean, I don't think 14 guys are going to get traded. That's just not reasonable or realistic. But uh, I want to hear your opinion on some of these some of these names. Uh, let's start with the guy you just mentioned. Is there any world where Lucas Giolito is not traded by the White Sox in the next two weeks? As much as I wish there was, I just don't think so. I mean, I, I've been pretty clear on Twitter and on here that I would extend Lucas Giolito. That, that is the move that I would make if I were running the Chicago White Sox, but... I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to pay for him. So at that point, you got to trade him. Yeah, it's so tough with a guy like Giolito who has been so consistent, uh, you know, outside of 2021, has been a good starting pitcher for four years, 19, 20, 21, and 23 now, or I guess outside of 2022. Um it's a guy you want in your rotation, a guy who wants to be here, a guy who you trust to be a self-starter and come to work ready to go every day. And yet I think you'd have a hard time 
not capitalizing on his trade value right now and where the market currently sits. So it's kind of a lose-lose for the Sox, but I also think he gets dealt because I don't see how you take him to free agency and I don't see an extension coming. I don't like, there's no way they're going to extend him right now. So if like, you can't possibly take him to free agency, you have to get something for him given the fact that, you know, potentially multiple top 100 prospects, like, I don't know what he's going to net, but you could be talking about a real, a real good prospect coming back for Lucas Giolito here. Uh, So I think we're both there. He'll get moved. Let's talk Lance Lynn. I think Lance Lynn's also gone. Uh, I think he's done enough in the last couple starts to show teams that he has some value, uh, that he can still be a very good starting pitcher that can help someone down the stretch. He's another guy who I, I don't see the White Sox bringing back on the option next year. And so I think Lance Lynn also is going to be out the door. What do you think about Lance? Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page there. All I really needed to hear was the Bob Nightingale report that there are teams that are interested. We've seen a couple of rumors about, you know, potentially the Rays, um, Lance Lynn's former team, the Rangers. So I think the interest is there, and I don't think there's a reason for the White Sox to hold on to him. I mean, they're not going to pay him $18 million next year for the option. So, again, you might as well trade him because otherwise you're just going to lose him for nothing. So the rest of the starting rotation, then Michael Kopech, not really a trade candidate. Mike Clevenger is interesting. He's got a 3.88 ERA, but he's on the IL right now. He could come back and have a start or two. I think they're expecting to get him back here in the next week. He could pitch before the the trade deadline and be back healthy. Does Mike Clevenger get moved? It's really tough because even if he does come back, Teams are going to want to know for sure that he's healthy, that they're not going to trade for him, and that he's going to go straight back on the IL again. Um, The White Sox also still need to fill out a rotation for the rest of the year. Obviously, if you're trading Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, you're not trying to win still, so it doesn't really matter who starts for them, but somebody has to. So um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that Mike Clevenger stays. I, uh, yeah, I agree. Mike Clevenger also has an option, which, you know, the White Sox have to fill out a rotation, like you said, this year and next year. Uh, I think, you know, if they can see him go healthy the rest of the way, there is a world where they bring him back for 2024, um, just because they need some arms. Uh, so I think that's a possibility. I just think they've got other deals that are going to get more attention and more traction. I think he stays, and I'll segue that into saying, I think Dylan Cease is going to stay. I don't necessarily think the White Sox are a hard no on trading Dylan Cease. The right offer could probably get him, but I am not sure there's going to be a package with how Cease has pitched this year overwhelming enough to incentivize the Sox to move on. Uh, and then I do think there is an aspect of Lynn and Giolito are both going and they'll probably at least want uh, a bona fide starter in their rotation for next year. So I think Dylan C stays as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I really don't think that this is going to be a full teardown situation. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf is signing off on that. So I think anyone that's still under team control two years from now is probably not going anywhere. 
So that includes Dylan Cease, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, Andrew Benintendi. I don't think any of those guys are really going anywhere because I don't think the White Sox are are looking at this as a you know three four year project. I think they're going to try to be semi competitive next year and run it back the next couple of seasons and try and win the division. You know, so I I don't I don't see how they do that if they trade a bunch of controllable pieces. Yeah, I think. Like, I don't think Luis Robert is on the table. He is the untouchable guy. I think Andrew Vaughn's pretty much untouchable because the White Sox, not because of what he's done on the field, but really because I think the White Sox believe in his development. Um, Eloy Jimenez is somebody I could see getting traded, but probably in the offseason. I don't think he's a guy you move at the deadline. You want to maximize Eloy's value. And so I think... You know, if you see him go for a second half where he's healthy and on the field and mashing home runs, I think you start to potentially, like, his value goes up and then maybe you think, hey, we need a shakeup. We can trade Eloy now that his value is high. I don't think he goes at this deadline. Um, And I I relatively uh, agree with you. I don't think there's going to be too many guys moved, if any, that have control for next year. And so it brings me to the bullpen. Kendall Graveman is somebody who has 2024 under contract, but teams are obviously going to be calling about. I don't think the White Sox will trade Graveman, but I do have Reynaldo Lopez, Joe Kelly, and Keenan Middleton all being dealt at the deadline. Where are you on this bullpen? Am I missing somebody or do you disagree on any of those names? Well, the bullpen's really tough to figure out um, just because it is so volatile of a position in general. I mean, it can all change so quickly, but I'd say the only guys that I would say are for sure coming back next year, uh, Garrett Crochet, uh, Gregory Santos, you're going to bring him back, and probably Liam Hendricks. They're probably going to, especially you're not going to, you're not going to sell on Liam's value right now. He's barely pitched this season, so uh, I would say he's for sure coming back, but the rest of them, I could kind of see it. Um, one of the things that I've brought up in the past is packaging Lucas Giolito and a reliever together to try and get a better return. So I've seen some trade packages involving Giolito and Bummer. I've seen some with Giolito and Lopez or Giolito and Middleton, but I think that's something that they might definitely explore. Yeah, I, I love the idea of putting two guys together to maximize value. Um, yeah, I just, those relievers are not going to net a ton by themselves, specifically a guy like Reynaldo Lopez or an Aaron bummer. Um, and so if it, it, you're able to sweeten the pot with Giolito to grab that extra prospect, I, I definitely think there is some value in that Joe Kelly and Keenan Middleton, I think could get some decent returns by themselves. Uh, I think they're both gone. Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandal, I've come around to not being traded. I just don't know what the demand is for either one of those guys right now. Interesting name, though, that I didn't really think we would be talking about, but you have seen some rumblings about on Twitter. Is Jake Berger being traded 21 home runs for the White Sox. He's OPS is, you know, up over 800. 
Do you think Jake Berger gets traded? This is a, a weird one to me. I didn't really see this conversation coming. I think it's definitely possible. Um, Jake Berger's been probably the second best hitter in the White Sox lineup this season overall. Uh, and obviously, no doubt. got off to um, such a hot start. You can maybe, I think he's been the second best hitter. I, I almost wanted to say Andrew Benintendi for a second there, but the power for Berger has been nice to say the least to have 21 yeah. home runs right now. Like he's pacing to hit 35, which is impressive. But here's the thing. Here's, I mean, Jake Berger obviously has his shortcomings. He strikes out way too much. He doesn't get on base aside from home runs and occasionally smacking one into the gap. I mean, he doesn't walk. He His plate discipline, I mean, he swings at way too many pitches. And there's still question marks about his defense at third base. He's been better this year than the past couple years, but he's still not great over at third base. So, you know, you could see why the White Sox don't necessarily see him as like their future at third base. So if that's the case, then why not sell high on him now? Uh, I think where he's hit 21 home runs. Teams may look at that and be like, oh, we need some extra right-handed power. So if you're looking at it thinking, Yoan Moncada is making $25 million next year. He's going to be on the roster whether we like it or not. And then you're thinking, okay, we have Brian Ramos. We have a couple other infield prospects coming maybe the year after that. Then you got a question like, is Jake Berger – one of the future cornerstones of this team? And if the answer is no, then why not sell high on him right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you crushed it. Like, I think that is the question. He is 27 years old, and he's under contract for really what will be his prime. Like, he's pre-arb through 2025, I believe. Like, he hits arbitration in 2026. I don't think he's an unrestricted free agent until 2028, if I'm doing my math right. So the control is there. The question is, do you view Jake Berger as a future piece that is a part of this next wave or not? If not, you trade him. Because am I silly to think you could get a lot for Jake Berger? a player that is on pace to hit 35 home runs that has an OPS over 800 that plays third base that has six year, five years of control left with him. Like I think that that profile fits a guy that gets you a haul. I don't know if the I, name I, Jake Berger gets a haul, but like, I don't know if I'd call it a haul. I think this is the kind of situation where you could see, a major leaguer for major leaguer swap. Um, you could see a team who has too many lefties, too many of a certain position that needs an extra right-handed bat. You could see them kind of swap one of their major leaguers for Jake Berger. Um, I'm not sure that he brings a ton in terms of prospect return. I'm not sure that's even what the White Sox would target in a trade uh, involving Jake Berger. But I think... You know, honestly, coming into today, like waking up this morning, if you would have asked me, are the White Sox going to trade Jake Berger? I would have said, why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. But after reading some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter today and thinking about it a little bit, I think it makes more sense than I originally thought. And I think there's definitely a possibility. Let me throw out a team for you 
this just came to mind right now, a team that I think could be a contender to trade for Jake Berger that makes sense for the White Sox. What about Miami? The Miami Marlins are starting Gene Segura at third base every day right now, who's hitting 218 with two home runs and a 554 OPS. You've got Joey Wendell on that infield, who's got one home run and a 686 OPS. You've got like, Xavier Edwards and Jordan Groshans and some middle infield prospects, you know, almost ready. But you've got Luisa Rice, Garrett Cooper, Yuli Gurriel. You don't have a third baseman. And what we know about the Marlins is they have pitching on pitching on pitching. And the White Sox need to fill out a starting rotation in 2024 and beyond. On the 40-man roster for Miami right now, Sandy Alcantara, Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, Max Meyer, Yuri Perez, Trevor Rogers, Sixto Sanchez, all starting pitchers, all very good young starting pitchers, some left-handed starting pitchers in there. And they've got more in the pipeline on the way. So that on the just, IL. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of those guys are on the IL, but that I mean, that's just off the top of my head, a team that, you know, is contending right now. That has started to slip a little bit after the all-star break that could be looking for a little bit more juice to their lineup and has the pitching depth the White Sox might need. That fit makes some sense to me. No, I agree. I didn't even think about them, really. Um, I saw some stuff on Twitter about the Diamondbacks as a fit for Jake Berger. They they don't really have a solid answer at third base right now, but the Marlins really do make a lot of sense, especially if we're talking about you know, what I kind of said, like a major leaguer for major leaguer trade. Would the Marlins consider something like Jake Berger for Braxton Garrett straight up? I think that's I don't a move. Think, I don't think I don't... they do Braxton Garrett only because of the year that he's having in their rotation right now. And I mean, he's got a 390 and 97 innings. Uh, you, you're maybe more likely to get a Max Meyer or a player that you know, hasn't had as much of a big league impact. I, I'm not sure how much Miami wants to hurt their big league rotation. So well, the thing is right now they've got Yuri Perez in AAA to limit his innings. So eventually they're going to want him back up by the end of the year and they're going to have to clear a spot for him. Yeah, so, it's, it's I mean, interesting maybe, though. Maybe it's... Garrett, you'd have to throw in somebody else, but I think there's a potential deal to be made there where the White Sox get a controllable starting pitcher that they can put in their rotation. A lefty would be even a bonus because we know the White Sox have no lefty starters. So I think there's a deal that could be made there, whether it's for Jake Berger or for somebody else. I think the White Sox looking to acquire starting pitching, specifically left-handed starting pitching that they can have in their 2024 rotation and beyond is exactly the kind of trade they should be looking for. Yeah, I, 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 it's almost like, it's almost like the, uh, the the Cubs situation when they traded the White Sox for Nick Madrigal. It's, you know, it might be a prospect that's not not even healthy right now, not ready to pitch for the White Sox immediately after the trade deadline. But you're setting yourself up to add that young controllable piece to the 2024 rotation sacrificing the big league talent right now. And Miami gets a guy that they, you know, could potentially have some control over. So that name's interesting. I, I mean, I hope Jake Berger's not traded. I love Jake Berger. We know that, but if it is for, I mean, it, if you're getting a guy like Braxton Garrett, yeah, you know, 
you have to make that deal, in my opinion. That would just be too too good of value for what Jake Berger is right now for the White Sox to not make that trade. But it will be an interesting deadline, Noah. So uh, real quick to recap, I have five White Sox getting traded. Giolito, Lynn, Kelly, Middleton, and Lopez. You are in agreement, or do you want to add somebody? Is Kendall Graveman on your list? You kind of were more inclined to say that than I was. It's really hard to tell with the relievers. I'm not going to specifically pick which relievers I think are going, but I think at least two relievers will be traded. Is somebody going to trade for Yasmani Grandal? No, I really don't think so. I mean, the White Sox, I'm not sure, would even trade him for whatever they could get for him. Oh, they would trade. I mean, he's an expiring deal, and you want to play Carlos Perez. They're not going to get much for him, and... You know, he's he's a veteran. He's worked with some of the pitching staff before. So if they do bring in young starting pitchers, wouldn't you want a veteran catcher to be working with them at least for a little bit? I mean, Here, I, yeah, I'm just not sure it's I'm not sure it's worth what they'll get for him, which is going to be pretty much nothing. Yeah, here's my last question of the podcast for you and something that I think will break down in more detail detail once we have some answers to what trades are made and what the roster looks like after the trades the White Sox played decent baseball in Atlanta if they were to play decent baseball over the next few weeks I I think we both agree they're still sellers but maybe they gain a game or two in the AL Central is it possible the White Sox gain ground in this division and make this an interesting last two months without Lucas Giolito and some of these pieces on their roster? I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I think it's unlikely. I mean, how funny would that be? If you deal Giolito, you deal, you know, some of these relievers, you get some of these young prospects up, and you're kind of just in, you know, whatever mode, let's see what happens mode. You win some games and you're four and a half back in August and, and and you've got some meaningful baseball games. That would at least be like entertaining for me. I, I don't know. Maybe it's bad for the tank. That's for sure. You're, you're rooting for the top five pick. I know that. Yeah. I mean, why would you root for a pick 15 again when you could you could get a top five pick, you know, especially I just want to watch top baseball. five picks. And... <laughs> yeah, I want to watch baseball. I care about, man. But but I, I get it. As but James also, broke down this. for us, the, the lottery, go ahead and ask your question, but the lottery makes it enticing to tank because, you know, it's not only a top top pick that could be the number one pick. Uh, it also becomes, gives the White Sox less incentive to stink and more incentive to com- compete next year because you can't be in that bottom group two years in a row. Go ahead, ask your question. Well, I was just going to ask Let's say that does happen. The White Sox trade five players, and then they start winning for some reason. You know, people talk about their easy September schedule. Maybe that's why Detroit I asked. That's City why I asked. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should, I should maybe say they that. Win some games there, and then they're four and a half back. You know, at the halfway through September. I'm not sure. I would be excited. I would kind of be feeling like, man, what if we didn't trade all those guys? No, I wouldn't feel that way because I think if the White Sox win after trading those guys, it's because of the shakeup. It's because of 
you reshuffled the deck a little bit. Like, I just, I don't think this group is built to win a division. I don't think this is the right mix of players. I think there's some really talented players like Luis Roberts, like Eloy Jimenez, like Dylan Cease and, you know, Lucas Giolito. And I think, you know, you get Liam Hendricks back from the IL and he's a great talented player for you, but I don't think this mix is the right mix. So if you make the trade and then you start winning some of those easier games and you find your way fighting back into it, I don't think I'll have remorse over making any of those deals. You you have to view it as this group's not working. What does this next group have in them? Yeah, I suppose that's yeah, fair. I mean, like, look at what a guy like Zach Remillard has done for the White Sox. Look what he's been for the White Sox. And, you know, he he's... He is what he is. He's a 29-year-old prospect that is a career minor leaguer that's having a a great storyline season and getting some meaningful big league at-bats. But, like, is there another Zach Remillard in AAA? Like, is there another guy you call up that maybe gives you a little bit of a spark and, you know, can play like, you know, his career depends on it and, and have a good couple months for you? Like, maybe... So maybe there is something like that where, you know, a shakeup of the roster that you wouldn't necessarily do right now helps you click in a way you're not. I mean, this is all a pipe dream that the White Sox are going to win more games than they are right now without some of their best players. But it's just the thought because of the way the schedule unfolds that that's. I don't know what I'm rooting for, to be honest with you. I just want good trade returns every game. I'm looking for trade value. That's all it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's that's the life of a seller. Every every good player we have, with the exception of Luis Robert, who I I personally love to see him succeeding. I think he's dynamic and just very very fun player to watch. But you he know, might when, be a finalist for MVP, which is he might, he just might be wild. <laughs> like, Here's a thought: if Shohei Otani gets traded out of the American League, what happens then? I have no flipping idea because i don't know what protocol i don't know if that's ever happened before can he win I don't both know, mvps <laughs> maybe i don't know it's something to keep an eye on though for sure what what if that what if shohei otani wins al and nl mvp in the same season how crazy is that if anyone's gonna do it it's him i i don't i would have to look into that i might have to research that like what is the eligibility for because is he technically eligible to win an award if he's on an nl roster some of these all-stars aren't eligible for all-star honors if they're i don't know i don't know how it works i don't know if there's ever been an mvp that's been traded mid-season before i'm gonna look at that and we'll get back to you guys on next week's episode because you that's a an idea and a half my brother that's a that's a good one I don't know. I just I was thinking about that earlier. You're, and I was like, I genuinely you, don't know. You had to be careful too, because you're talking. You're starting to talk me into making a dangerous Luis Robert MVP bet right now <laughs> before Otani gets traded. Like I'm going to call my shot here. Uh, I I don't I don't condone spending all your money on gambling. Well, it's so. not all my money. Don't, the don't odds hear right, me. The don't odds hear right me now, saying that. <laughs> I could put twenty bucks down and win a small fortune on Luis Robert to win MVP. That might be worth it. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. I, it was just a thought I had. Just well, a thought. It's a good thought. Maybe we'll be playing this back in, you know, October and you'll be looking like a genius. But 
that is all we've got this week. Uh, next week, maybe a trade, maybe not a trade. Uh, I don't know. We'll have another week of White Sox baseball and two series to recap. See if they are for real uh, at making a run and locking in, as Lance Lynn said this weekend, or if this is just another mirage of the 2023 White Sox season, which seems a little bit more likely right now. Uh, got some stuff brewing, maybe some big news coming in the near future. Till then, keep putting crooked numbers up on that board. We will see you next time.